Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. (laughs) Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? (laughs) And we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. Today, we are highlighting fantasy football sleepers for your 2019 drafts, and we have a full house. Here with me is Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is our director of predictive analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. And Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio. Raybon, you and I have been cornerless on the last couple of pods. Sean, did you have a good little vacation this past week? Yeah, I was, I was at a wedding. So, um, yeah, it was nice. Uh, congrats to Matt and Lindsay for their uh, wedding. Uh, and glad to have the band back together. I feel like it's been like a month since all three of us have been on. So, yeah, it's all back. It's, it's been a long time. Uh, good to be back and uh, good to be back with you guys. And good to have with us Christopher Harris. Uh, here to talk about the sleepers and the players that he is planting his flag on. Christopher Harris is the proprietor of Harris Football. Uh, he's a podcaster, a YouTuber, and one of the OGs of the fantasy football industry. Chris, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Yeah, that's what happens when you're in ESPN. <laughs> it was a long time ago. It seems like a long time. It's only four years. It seems like a long time ago. It was a lifetime ago and that so much has happened and the industry has really uh, exploded since then. But uh, yeah, you were, you were one of the early guys I was, I was reading. So it's, uh, it's cool to have you on the show. We are entering week three of the NFL preseason. We're in the thick of drafting season and everyone is looking at projections and rankings and trying to identify sleepers. And Chris, I would like to get some insight into your ranking and projections process. What are the stats? What are the numbers? What are the things you prioritize when evaluating players? So I think you probably already know the answer to that question. This is like a leading question. I'm in the hornet's nest. You're just going to knock me and cut my knees out from under me. But, you know, my goal, and I don't always live up to this goal, my goal is to try to make the actual player ability be the most important thing in the equation. Sometimes I fail utterly miserably. I mean, I have three Rams receivers in my top 20. That is not that they are the three most talented receivers in the league. That's that... 
yeah, I'm pretty sure the Rams offense is kind of good. And similarly, you know, Damian Williams on another team, I'd just be sort of not all that interested and he's on the Chiefs, so he's awfully good. So I'd be lying if I said talent is always the leading factor. So my shtick is that basically I watch every game during the season and then in the offseason I watch all the players, tons of film again. And I really want to be the one who can kind of see through the noise that we all have to fight through with, tra- you know, coaches lying and training camp beat reporters getting excited about guys. And then the next day they forget they existed and all that stuff that we live and die with every day. My goal is to try to be as above it as I can be and try and pick out who, the guys who I think are the, the best of the talents and the, and the ones that I think are maybe being overestimated because despite a good situation, I don't think they have a ton of talent. I recognize that I fail in that sometimes. And I certainly do consider last year's numbers and look at statistics and the tendencies of coaches and stuff like that. So many factors, but I try to make the talent be the number one. So uh, Chris, you mentioned trying to cut through the noise or maybe kind of ignore some of the noise that you hear this time of year. And a lot of it would seem to revolve around potential sleepers, the, the guys who are kind of on the fringes of fantasy relevance who might explode. What do you think a sleeper is? So a decade ago, the sleeper was actually a thing, you know, but the fantasy football market is much sharper now. There's more information. People are better informed. So it's harder to find late round producers who are relatively unknown. So what do you think is an acceptable modern day definition of a sleeper? I know. It's so true. I used to have a much easier job. 10 years ago, my job was a lot easier. Maybe all we're really talking about is guys who come at what we, can, we consider to be sort of multi-round value when we're comparing our own assessments to and our own ranks to ADP. I mean, I actually think you can make a case that a sleeper is a sixth round pick. You know, I think you can make a case that a sleeper is a 12th round pick, but you know, probably a sleeper isn't a second round pick or a first round pick. But I think if you find value it's almost like as though the market is sleeping on this guy, which kind of didn't really used to be the definition of the term. It used to be much more, no, who are the guys in the double-digit rounds who I can take? Those are sleepers. And now it's almost like, okay, no, I mean, if, if I think it, this is not the case for me, but I think Miles Sanders should be a second-round pick and everybody's taking him in the fifth or the sixth. I guess that, you know, because the market is now sleeping on him, that could kind of be a sleeper too. Maybe we're just really just talking about value these days with the market so sharp. So most people traditionally are thinking of sleepers as the guys who are maybe in, in the later rounds. And at this point, maybe, yeah, the, the definition has just shifted to something of value. And you can think of uh, guys who are in the higher rounds, relatively well known as potential sleepers. And, and some of those guys uh, that you have recently planted your flag on mm. uh, at the running back position, Joe Mixon and Mark Ingram, and at wide receiver, Keenan Allen, Stefan Diggs, and Cooper Cup, all of those guys are relatively known. I mean, pe- people know who they are. They're going in the top six, top seven rounds in drafts. Can you give us your thoughts on those guys and why it is that you think they provide uh, kind of sleeper value or multi-round value? We could take them on a case-by-case basis. It's hard to generalize. The thing for me that's common in all of them is that I, I think, I mean, it's hard to say Keenan Allen is like a multi-round value. He's going in the second or third round. So it's hard to go like stupid market picking a number one overall. But I just sort of, the flag thing is somewhat about value and somewhat about just players I really like and want to sort of feel like I want on a lot of my teams. But Diggs would be an example. I think we're a couple rounds off on Diggs. And I, I think Diggs and Thielen are kind of around the same level valuation. I like Adam Thielen a lot. I just think they both can be good and Diggs is the one who comes cheaper. So I'll wind up feeling like he'll wind up on some of my teams. Ingram, you know, I I think I would take Ingram in the second round. Seems like a really good system for him. Very good system for almost any running back, but also it's not just system because I really disliked Alex Collins last year. I just didn't think he could play. 
I think Ingram played pretty well. Yeah, Joe Joe Mixon is the guy who kind of stands out most on this list to me. What are your thoughts on him? So again, I mean, maybe his, his average position might be 15 and I might be a 10, right? So that, that's not meant to capture some dramatic miscarriage of justice where, oh my God, I can't believe how late Joe Mixon going. That's much more about me saying, you know what? No matter the format, I believe in this player to such a degree that despite the team, despite the unknowns with the offensive system, despite the offensive line thing that everybody's going to point to, despite not knowing this play caller, he is just a transcendent player. He is fantastic. And I don't think whatever the situation of Joe Mixon is this year, really don't think it's going to be worse than last year when we all decided we liked him. Uh, I liked him last summer. But um, I, I think he's so good that I don't worry about team, them playing from behind. I don't worry about the offensive lineup. I don't worry about Andy Dalton. He is going to be the centerpiece of that offense like he was last year. All right, let's uh, talk about some of the other players on your planting the flag list uh, who I think people would would think of as qualifying as sleepers. Uh, Let's start at the quarterback position. Russell Wilson, um, are you worried about how run heavy his offense was last year uh, and any possible regression in touchdown rate? Because those are the the two big things that people are pointing to as to why he maybe won't be a, a kind of starting caliber fantasy player this year. First of all, my supposition is that we over rely on things like that team is run heavy. Run heavy in the NFL now means something very different than it meant even 10 years ago. The Seahawks are still going to run about 50%, uh, still going to throw about 50% of the time. Russell Wilson is still going to have between 25 and 30 attempts every game, most, most, on average, most games. However, that is a difference from, you know, Ben Roethlisberger maybe going out and throwing 55 times a game. I get it. That is less. But the reason I don't think he's due for touchdown regression is because he's the best deep ball, deep ball passer in the league. He's got extreme talent at the deep wide receiver sort of position and then he himself well this isn't part of why he won't regress with throwing touchdowns although he's had 30 plus three out of the last four years you know i think the one year that he wasn't he was hurt he had the high ankle sprain but then also i feel like we you know the market is not adjusting for the dude's gonna run for 400 yards the dude's probably gonna rush for a touchdown he didn't last year that was weird it's shocking to me we fall in love with you know gaudy baubles with kyler murray I, I really like kyler murray's potential in the future and i can see a world where he's awesome this year but i can see a world where he's mitch Trubisky. i can see a world where he's got a long way to go in his development it seems like the best case for me is that maybe someday kyler murray if he eats his wheaties could be russell wilson and the idea that he's gonna go before russell wilson and drafts is at least a surprise to me I, i'm not calling anybody who has that opinion like dead wrong but it doesn't feel like I guess to me, like playing the percentages in, in leagues where quarterbacks aren't scarce at all and people just want to take a shot on upside and if it doesn't work out, cool, I can cut them. I get it, except that argument's dangerous to me because how long do you have to give Kyler Murray? Do you have to give him three weeks? Do you have to give him, you know, we're all going to tell all the listeners after a couple of weeks, well, you drafted him for a reason. You got to hang in there with him. And maybe he gives you one awesome work week where he runs for two touchdowns, but then week two is kind of crummy. And then week three is sort of in between. And you're kind of like, he leaves you dangling. I mean, you can ruin your fantasy season waiting for somebody to prove that he does or doesn't have it. Um, I feel safer with someone like Wilson. All right, Sean, I want to kick it to you. Uh, first of all, any thoughts on Wilson and his potential as a sleeper? But then also, who are the guys that you are looking at as sleepers at the quarterback position? So first off, I define sleeper as sort of guys that typically fall to me due to their ADP and just based on my overall draft strategy. So I'm never really reaching for specific players. Um, so Wilson, you know, my, my draft philosophy this year is to sort of just hold off at QB. I'm really trying to load up at uh, running back and receiver and tight end on the first 10 rounds. So I think, you know, the sweet spot for me 
has been right around round 10. Um, so, you know, the, the three QBs I kind of consider sleepers would be Jameis Winston in round 10, Lamar Jackson in round 11, and Dak Prescott in round 12. And it kind of allows me, I, I don't want to just like base my draft on one guy. So it gives me just a cushion to have these three QBs in um, successive rounds. And, you know, if someone takes Jameis Winston in front of me in round 10, uh, I just hold off until round 11 and take Lamar Jackson. And then again with Dak Prescott. So uh, I think that's how I've been handling QB. So it's sort of that that range of the draft is my sleeper pick. And then, you know, typically 80% of the time I'll get one of those guys. But if not, the you know, the backup plans to get Mitch Trubisky or Josh Allen in rounds 13 and 15. Um, the, the reason I don't hold off on them is just because they're, you know, pretty high ceiling, low four players. I don't want to have to rely on that week to week. But there is a chance that, you know, either one of them can you know, become more consistent and uh, low-end or uh, QB1 each week. So um, I think they're worth flyers late on, later on. But um, again, if they, if they don't work out right away, the, the waiver wire is going to be stacked this year. I think uh, it's, it's pretty safe to kind of wait on QB and you can always have the streaming option for you uh, in season. Rayvon, I think the three guys that you are most focused on at the quarterback position as sleepers, uh, Trubisky, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. I'm sorry for letting corner go ahead of you and just listing all of those guys. <laughs> but uh, what are your thoughts on those three? Why do you feel comfortable waiting at the position? Yeah, and I would actually include uh, Dak Prescott in that. But I think the biggest thing for me is you definitely want a little bit of mobile ability, of rushing ability um, within those sleeper picks because I think that's where you get your upside because at the end of the day, the way we score in fantasy, rushing touchdowns are worth more, rushing yards are worth more. And the league has gotten easy to throw in a way that a guy like Eli Manning last year could have essentially career highs in completion rate, uh, in, in lowest interception rate, and still be terrible. So really, I'm looking for that rushing upside. So I think all of those guys have it. You know, just going back to kind of the Wilson versus Murray point, because I would put Wilson in the sleeper category too if, like Sean said, if he falls to you, th- then that's great. Jared Goff, a guy who I have an MVP ticket out uh, on. Um, you know, if he falls, you know, into that into that 10th round, 11th round, sure, I'm taking him. But, but I think the thing with Murray is the Cardinals – ran 56 plays last year. Cliff Kingsbury in his time at Texas Tech ran the most plays in the nation. If the Cardinals run, you know, let's just say they're, they're, they're top three in the league, they're running 68 to 70 plays per game. The, the fact that they're also going to be pass heavy, whereas Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, they're trying to kind of, they know their defense isn't that good. They're, they're trying to shorten games. I think you do have more upside with Murray because you have, you have this uh, potential to pass a lot more, run a lot more plays, and your defense is probably even worse than Seattle at this point, one of the worst in the league, because you're going to be without Patrick Peterson for six weeks. You're going to be without uh, Robert Alford now. You're going, you really have nothing in that secondary, and you are going to be playing at a fast pace, as those Eagles did under Chip when their defenses were, were really poor. So really it's about the value and just who's dropping to you. But rushing upside is something I really look for. Um, and I've cooled off a little bit on Jameis for that exact reason. He doesn't run quite as much. Um, as some of these other guys. Um, and he's, only, he's always kind of been this middling uh, fantasy finisher. He's actually been in the teens pretty much every year of his career, even last year when, um, you know, combined the Bucks quarterbacks were a QB4. But I don't know if that gets um, – like I, that might have been the ceiling and he was still out there getting benched. I think he's a little – I'm less excited about him as I was a, a, before I kind of really dove into all the, the play calling tendencies. Like predicting game flow even before the season's even start, started and knowing who the defenses are good or bad. I mean, it's a tough – yeah, I look at the personnel for the Cardinals and Seahawks and say, okay, I have questions, that's for sure. But I think it's 
at least interesting to say that your, your take on Cardinals is their defense is going to be so bad, oh, they're going to have to throw. And your take on the Seahawks is their defense is going to be so bad, they're going to run to try to keep the games closed. So, like, I'm saying that they have shown this already. Like, we, we've, we know the Seahawks, how they're playing. Like, they have Schottenheimer. Cliff Kingsbury is a whole different coach. I'm right. saying it's, it adds to it that their defense is bad. But we are, I'm saying without, let's say their defense was completely average. I would say that they would um, pushing yeah. for the top. Yeah, and like, but like a significant amount to the point where this could be any quarterback. This could be Josh Allen. This could be any quarterback under this coach in this scheme um, that would just shoot up because the potential for plays run. And, and then it just adds to it. Like, so, but I, I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, the, it, it does come down to philosophy. And I think that's why you do have to take it on a case by case basis. Um, right. I think Brian Schottenheimer has, is a whole different type of play caller uh, than, than Cliff. Sure. Of course. I mean, uh, if Chip Kelly's system wasn't like an automatic path to fantasy glory, the history of the NFL would be, <laughs> pretty different than it is right now. Chip Kelly wouldn't be at UCLA here in Los Angeles, but I take your, I take your meaning. The Cardinals are going to at least try. They're yeah. going to at least try and come out and run a bunch of plays. And if it goes about as well as Chip Kelly's plays went, then, then you know, we're probably going to talk about Cliff Kingsbury as the coach of my high school at some point, but uh, I agree they're going to try. Uh, Chris, Corner and Rayvon both mentioned Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson as potential sleepers. Uh, do you have thoughts on those two guys and which one do you prefer? I guess Jackson by a little bit, but I think Allen maybe represents a little more value. It seems like the Jackson market is heating up a little bit and people are starting to say, all right, well, if you don't you know, I mean, I think what people really say, and none of us are saying this, but I didn't think Kyler Murray looked good in the second preseason game. I'm not as into him anymore. Like as soon as that happened, his, his ADP went down a few spots uh, and Lamar Jackson started to go up. He became kind of the cool alternative. And um, Allen, it feels like has sort of has kept his market pretty chill and cool by the way, I think everybody's right on quarterback. You know, if you're in a league where there's not two quarterbacks who are starting or every single team by tradition always takes three quarterbacks or whatever, you should be waiting on a quarterback because there's just so many of the fact that we're talking about Josh Allen and we're like, oh yeah, you're talking about QB 18? <laughs> like he right. could easily be QB five, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think Lamar Jackson's running style may be a little more built into Baltimore's offense and a little more stable than Josh Allen, who's more of a oh my God, they're going to kill me. I got to run real fast. And then once he runs real fast, he's, he's sort of like, you know, fast Ben Roethlisberger, Cam Newton, I guess, like mo trying to mow guys down. But it may not be quite as completely built into the offense and so a little, maybe a little bit more up and down. But uh, 100%, think he, think he qual qualifies as a sleeper. Chris, two running backs you highlight in your planting the flag piece are Deion Lewis and Naheem Hines. Uh, can you talk about those two guys and specifically their role in their offenses? Because both of those guys are kind of more of the, the satellite pass catching type of back. Do you think they're going to carve out enough usage uh, to uh, provide value? I do, at least as value at their ADP, which is incredibly, incredibly low. I, this would be a certain kind of sleeper. And it is sort of on vogue in fantasy circles right now to say ah, second half of your draft you should shoot the moon you should find as high an upside a player as you possibly can and if it doesn't work out it's cool you get rid of them and actually i completely adhere to that in some cases the the calls on lewis and hines are somewhat situationally based if you've gone a little bit risky earlier in your draft like let's say maybe uh you took the antonio brown plunge you took the todd Gurley plunge you uh, took a shot on Andrew Luck, like you, you have some risk built in and you want to find, you know, you already have the risk, so you don't need as much high upset in the, in the second half of your draft. Maybe these guys, in other words, these guys aren't going to be RB1s probably. Uh, but I just think relative to the starters at, on their teams, they're going really late. I mean, Naheem Hines is essentially going undrafted in a standard league and Deion Lewis is certainly a double-digit round guy. 
And in each case, I find, I say flex appeal. I, I'll take them case by case very briefly. You know, Dion Lewis, this time last summer, it was a debate like who was more valuable, Derek Henry, Dion Lewis. As of week 13 during the season last year, Dion Lewis had more standard league fantasy points than Derek Henry. And I get it. The Titans found their soul and learned everything they needed to learn about themselves in December last year. And suddenly Henry's great, but the market actually doesn't think so. I'm proud of the market for not biting on Derrick Henry as like pick number 15 or whatever, which is what I worried would happen. And yet as they show moderation on Henry, it feels like they're just sort of forgetting that Lewis is there and he's a pretty good player. I mean, he, he can catch a bunch of passes. He can be that satellite back. He had goal line touchdown last year. Henry's going to get most of those, but there's some, there's potentially a little bit of, you know, six, seven touchdown work out there for him. I feel like again, as a, as a potential flex, if the Titans offense is better than we think, which we don't think it's possible right now, but who knows? I have some, I have some interest. And then Naheem Hines, I've said this on a bunch of shows, but this is a, like a sub four, four world-class sprinter. The fact that that dude in his rookie year didn't make a single play, he had a lot of touches, didn't make a single play over 28 yards is just weird like either he has the worst vision in the nfl like he's he's like me he's like magoo level like i'm taking off my glasses and now i can't see anything or i just think it was bad luck and he probably to me doesn't need a huge workload increase to produce a bunch of big plays he, he to me he's Tariq cohen light so i, I kind of the my line on, on naheem hines is whatever you think of Tariq cohen you should think about 80 percent of that of Naheem Hines and to leave him essentially undrafted feels like leaving something on the table. Yeah. It's not hard to imagine a world in which Lewis and Hines are both running back threes in fantasy that that is easily uh, in the realm of possibilities, especially in point per reception leagues. Uh, Sean, I'd like to get thoughts on your potential sleepers at running back. So for my sleepers, um, I've said it time and time again, I, I typically try to target wide receiver early on. Um, and then I, I attack the RB2 tier, um, typically in rounds three and four. And the guy that I consider a sleeper that's going in, you know, rounds three to five that I, I've been ending up with a lot is Chris Carson. Um, his ADP is definitely going to start catching up with him. I think, um, you know, earlier in the offseason, uh, people were a little bit worried about his knee surgery. Um, people thought Penny would possibly take him over this year. And it's becoming clear that this this is his backfield. And, you know, we, we already mentioned it, but Seattle's a very run-heavy team. Um, Chris Carson is the goal line back, and I've talked about it before, but Russell Wilson only had three rush attempts inside the 10-yard line last year. Um, so I think he's going to have some massive uh, touchdown upside again this year. And uh, he's, he's just a guy that um, I don't really go out of my way for him. He just fits perfectly in my draft strategy. So Chris Carson's my – sort of early round sleeper pick. And then um, in the middle rounds, Latavius Murray. Um, I've talked about him many times already, but I just love his um, just built-in upside where, you know, you can get him round six through eight. You're, we're typically starting a dip in backup running backs anyway. Um, and whether or not he actually takes over the full Mark Ingram role, um, I think he will be able to have some low, low-end RB2 or flex, um, you know, week, weekly value. But if Kamara were to get injured, um, he'd be a low-end RB2, RB1 in my model. Um, so I just love that built-in upside. So I think he's a, he's a pretty good buy at his price right now um, as the 35th running back off the board. And then just late-round late running backs. Um, I don't draft a kicker in defense just so I can stash two more uh, flyer running backs these, these next couple weeks. We're, we're recording this before uh, week three preseason where we typically see the starters play a bunch. Um, so there could be some um, big-name injuries this week. So I think if you're drafting right now, it's, it's key to kind of add as many of these guys as possible. Uh, but guys like Matt Breida, Justice Hill, 
Alexander Madison, Damian Harris, Justin Jackson, Devin Singletary, guys like that. It's it's so hard for us to actually predict which guys will, you know, become the league winners like last year. Um, I think it's often time, uh, you know, a player gets hurt or there's a holdout and they become a league winner. And that's, you know, a lot of it unfortunately comes down to luck. So I think just kind of stashing as many of these guys on your bench to start the season is sort of how I approach uh, running back. Can I just, I want to quickly throw in that Brita is such a good call. I can't even believe there's such a distance between him and Tevin Coleman. I think Brita might be better in a standard league than Tevin Coleman. I think it's such a good call. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this whole offseason, we've, you know, thought about the 49ers backfields being crowded, but there's a chance that uh, they put McKinnon on the IR. So we're already seeing things open up for Brita. So it just goes to show that running back, you know, we love to talk about talent and stuff, but it comes down to opportunity. And a lot of times it could be just luck, you know, a player getting injured. So just kind of putting yourself in position to know which of those players have that upside, I think is key. And Brita, I looked at this, in his last six games where he wasn't the lead back, or like he wasn't the starter, in five of those six games, he had exactly 12 or 13 touches. So that means that Shanahan just, he wants to involve this guy. It doesn't matter who else is in the backfield. Like Matt Breida is going to get a certain number of plays. And like, even on that Jimmy Garoppolo interception against the Broncos, like I was like that Matt Breida wheel route, if he sees Breida um, and, and it hasn't locked in on Goodwin, that's probably a touchdown. So like, Matt Breida, you know, within that scheme, I think, has, has some major upside. So, Rayvon, uh, Breida is one of your guys. You were sniped again by corner. Oh, uh, sorry. It's, it's just... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Unacceptable. It's miserable. Uh, but uh, who are some of your other sleepers at running back? Okay. Um, well, you know, I've been talking about Darwin Thompson. I mean, since I think one of the first pods we did in the offseason, I was like, hey, you know, watch this guy. They like him. He, they draft him in the sixth round. They wanted to trade up. Darwin Thompson. I mean – on the Chiefs, I think you have to look at anybody in that offense. And Thompson's a guy who, listen, Carlos Hyde, he's a guy that can run some power with. You know, when you're under center, maybe you kind of ice in the clock. But if Damian Williams goes down or, or something happens with him, uh, Tarwin, uh, Darwin Thompson's the better passing down back. He's a, he has a lot of explosion, as I'm sure people have seen in, in the preseason. Um, and I think he'd be heavily involved. And he has a chance to kind of jump high just in the – the, the you know the, the the usage totem pole right off the, the bat so um darwin thompson the guy going really late that i like and then i think you know going back to just what is the definition of a sleeper a guy who you know probably is just going a little bit too low um and i think there are some unsexy sleepers out there um that that don't even need an injury that just from day one and one of those guys is peyton barber i think peyton barber is clearly going to stay in the lead in that in that running back uh, rotation I think he's better than Ronald Jones I think the, the reason they talked Ronald Jones up all offseason was because the guy had no confidence last year he ran like what he had like one point something yards per carry in a pre and regular season so uh, Arians di didn't draft this guy I, he gave Richard Mendenhall like 15 carries a game in Arizona I think Barber's going to be that guy uh, in Tampa I think Kalen Balaj, uh, a guy he's going to be heavily involved whether Drake's you know in the lineup or not so uh, those two guys, and I, I totally agree with like Tariq Cohen going too high. Uh, I think Montgomery is going a little bit high as well. He's talented, but it's, it's going to be tough for him to pay off his ADP in the top 50. Um, I think Mike Davis is going to be involved. Um, so I think he's a guy that's going too low. And if something happens to either one of those guys, you're going to get essentially a lot of the value you are looking for out of these guys that are going in the top, you know, 70, 80 picks or, or, or before that out of Mike Davis. So those are so, some less sexy picks. Um, that I think are sweepers. And C.J. Anderson for the Lions as well. And C.J. Anderson. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely <laughs> with you on uh, Peyton Barber. He's uh, a guy I like quite a bit, especially in that Bruce Arians offense. I think one of them, whether it's uh, Barber or Ronald Jones, but I would 
bet a little more on Barber. I think one of them ends up uh, kind of seizing the lion's share of the, the workload there and, and having some decent production. I would, have, I would bet on – I would bet you that uh, their third back, uh, Agumboali, jumps Ronald Jones before I would bet Ronald Jones jumps Barber. Like, I could see a situation where Bar- Jones is just right back to, like, healthy scratch status. There's a non-zero yeah. chance that Andre Ellington drops <laughs> uh, Ronald Jones down the depth chart. That could, oh. that could legitimately happen. Yeah. Um, okay, Chris, uh, let's talk about wide receivers. Dante Pettis is the late-round wide receiver that you highlighted in your piece. Uh, reports haven't been great coming out of training camp, but at the same time, this time of year, you kind of have to question what reports actually mean. Um, but what are your thoughts on his role versus the role of some of the other wide receivers in San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, the answer is I don't know. I don't know what Kyle Shanahan meant. I, it's funny because I always harangue my audience about how – only pay attention to things coaches say when it's negative. Otherwise, it's all fluff. You don't know what to believe. And then he says a negative thing, and I go, oh, it was about Dante Pettis, and don't, I like him, so don't pay attention. Like, that's pretty hypocritical of me, obviously. So it could mean something bad. I totally acknowledge that it became riskier to be in the Dante Pettis business last week than it had been. So I don't, I don't pretend to know, but I also don't particularly love Marquise Goodwin. You know, Debo Samuel is interesting, but seeming seems to me fits the profile of somebody who won in college by being just stronger and more physical than the people who were covering him, not necessarily by running routes or being super fast. And I think that can work in the NFL, but it might take a little while. And, and the bottom line is I just really like Dante Pat. You know, I don't know if he's late round, but he's, you know, he's sort of middle round and I very much like him. I just put out a video on the YouTube channel with the five best route runners in the NFL. Dante Pettis didn't make the list because he's got, oh, I don't know, 27 career catches. So maybe it's a little premature for me to be putting him in that category. But I did, as a little bonus, just added a couple of plays because that kid, when he came back from injury last year, was sick. I think the reason we all care about the guys who are the route runners is that they become less dependent on situation. They become less dependent on who the quarterback is. They become not, not fully independent, but less dependent on how defenses are defending them, how, the, how good the offense is, all that stuff, because they're just open a lot. And people, quarterbacks, like to throw to open receivers. It's the reason why Keenan Allen can get away with being – I mean, we realize that if Keenan Allen lined up in a foot race with every single cornerback in the NFL, he'd lose. That's not a joke. Every single one would beat him in a foot race, and yet he's unguardable because he's such an incredible route runner. Uh, and I think Pettis is sort of heading in that direction – acknowledging that there is risk of what Shaney Jr. said, but by the same token, maybe that's a buying opportunity. Maybe that was a motivational ploy. I don't pretend to understand, but maybe it's some noise that drives down the ADP a little bit, and I'm a big fan. Hear that, Friedman? Hear that, Friedman? Keenan Allen. Yeah, I I heard it. Wonderful. Uh, (laughs) I can't tell whether that's uh, that you just don't believe in Dante Pettis or that you're like Keenan Allen, man. Oh, no. So we had like the defining moment. One of the defining moments of this podcast when it was uh, newer was um, it was, you know, Friedman Corner and I. And I guess it was like a question of whether who was a better pick, AJ Green or Keenan Allen. Me and Friedman just got into it for so long that Corner was just like a bystander at this point. It was like a 20 minute like. (laughs) It was, it was a running thread. It went through it multiple was. episodes. <laughs> uh, I had Keenan Allen. <laughs> yeah. Early in the season, things looked decent for me, and then the A.J. Green injury happened, and it, it wasn't so good. It's, it's not so good for the A.J. Green side of this right now. But uh, Okay, so you mentioned Dante Pettis there. One of the things that's intriguing about him is he is going into his second season, and I think for the, the wide receivers – you know, it's hard to play in the NFL as a rookie, especially as a receiver. And so we generally see a bump in production 
for receivers as they're going into their second year. And I thought last year's rookie class was actually pretty talented. So you go through this list of guys, uh, Cortland Sutton, Christian Kirk, Anthony Miller, James Washington, DJ Shark, not that interested in him, but still have to mention him. Uh, Michael Gallup, Traquan Smith, Kiki QT, Antonio Callaway, Deshaun Hamilton, Marquise Valdez-Scantling. That is a list of pretty like significant talent. Uh, Chris, out of those guys, out of these second-year wide receivers, other than Dante Pettis, uh, who catches your eye as someone who could really outperform his ADP? The full list includes, let's see, probably not Antonio Callaway. <laughs> probably Antonio Callaway can go away. I guess the one who I think is going to wind up being the best player over the course of his career might be Kirk but I also don't think he's coming at a great draft value. So maybe I'll say Anthony Miller. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Miller's career ceiling is lower. It strikes me there's a pretty good chance that he gets pigeonholed as that, you know, dynamic slot player, but yet still kind of a slot player and not likely to make a ton of plays in the end zone. And so maybe I'm hedging a little bit, but I like getting him this year. And I think there's, there are nerves around the bears offense uh, regarding too many mouths to feed, which is always an argument I find, somewhat specious because if you if you hit the right offense and the Bears offense could very well be the right offense there's never too many mouths to feed it's you know if you get the Rams and the Chiefs we want every mouth we can get and um you know I think Miller's a a very nice dynamic player again Kirk would probably be my choice if I were starting an NFL team Mm -hmm. Uh, but but it feels to me like you can get Miller at a better price sleeper wise Mm -hmm. out of the the second year guys who catch my eye and then I'm going to kick it to uh to you Sean the guys who catch my eye uh, James Washington, because he was productive in college, I think he has good athleticism. He's looked pretty good in the preseason. It's hard to know how to uh, contextualize that that preseason production, but I would still rather have him look good in the preseason than not. Another guy, Traquan Smith, uh, just because of what he was able to do in college, the production he had, his athleticism, his landing spot in New Orleans. Uh, I think he will be volatile, but it wouldn't be a surprise to me if at the end of the year he had 900-ish yards and seven touchdowns, and, and that would make him fantasy viable. And then Kiki Kuti, um as a slot receiver for the Texans, I think he has a lot of potential. There are just questions about uh, whether he will be able to stay healthy or not because up to this point in his NFL career, he hasn't uh, – really been able to exhibit the ability to stay on the field. But, but those are the guys who are, who are really catching my eye. Sean, who are the wide receivers you are thinking of as sleepers? You know, I, I typically target wide receivers early. And so if you haven't listened to my advice and you still don't have your third or final flex slot by round rounds eight or nine, I think D.D. Westbrook is your last chance to get a number one receiver for their team. I just think he's a great value right there. Uh, Marquise Lee is iffy to start the year. There's a chance he ends up on the pup. So I think that's that's opened things up for uh, DD in my model. So you're going to have guys like DJ Chark and Chris Conley competing for the, you know, the wide receiver two status for that team. Uh, I think, you know, Westbrook will be Nick Foles' uh, top target. And, you know, new OC, uh, John Filippo. He, he essentially got fired from Minnesota for trying to throw too much. So that couldn't hurt either. But, yeah, I, I think just he's my mid-round sleeper guy. Typically, I'm already going to have all my starters burned out, so he'd probably be first guy I have on the bench. In the later rounds, I kind of have it broken down by buckets. Um, so I have late round upside guys. So this is if you're all set at wide receiver, you're stacked. I try to target guys like John Brown or Deshaun Jackson in rounds 11 through 15. I'm just trying to get streaky guys who we know sort of have a high ceiling, low floor. And if they got get off to hot start, I'll trade them to a wide receiver needy team. Um, we saw it last year where Deshaun Jackson was the wide receiver two after week four. 
Um, you could have flipped him for somebody like Robbie Anderson or something. So they're, they're just kind of trade investments for my bench. Now, if you kind of um, slack off a wide receiver early on or you take a guy like A.J. Green, I think taking, you know, a higher floor guy in the later rounds that you'll probably start right away, like a Jamison Crowder in a PPR format, I think it's perfect. Um, you know, he's, he's a great guy to kind of just give you several points to start. And then, um, you know, I have him kind of getting a bit of a drop off once Chris Herndon returns. So if you have AJ green, that kind of maps out perfectly with, um, AJ green. So you can kind of take AJ green and then Jamison Crowder later on to kind of maximize uh, AJ green's value. So I, I think that's a sneaky way to kind of handle the later round of the draft that wide receiver. Speaking of sneaky, once again, uh, I must say you sniped our friend Chris Ravon. Um, <laughs> Sorry. And, and I mean, he actually had all of his players written on the show sheet and you come in, don't have anything written. Uh, and then you, you write down you know, a list that overlaps a little bit with his. I'm just going to say well, it's, it's a little bit suspect. I'm a little less about the player. It's more the strategy. So, uh, Rayvon, you can have the player. I'm just taking a late round guy with a higher floor in that spot. So you can have Crowder specifically. He's all yours. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not excited about the Jets in general. Um, but I do think, no, these sleepers at wide receiver, they do depend on scoring format, I think, a little more than, than the other positions. So, I think in PPR leagues, I think Jamison Crowder, you have to look at guys who are, could lead their team in receptions, even if they don't necessarily lead them in yardage, because receptions are more predictable, more consistent. And, you know, just by getting receptions, you open yourself up to chances to, you know, a guy falls down, you get a big play, you know, you, you get touchdowns. So reception leaders for their team, I think Crowder could lead the Jets in receptions. I think Adam Humphreys, it's not being talked about at all. I think pro I would easily bet on him to lead the Titans in receptions over Corey Davis. Uh, I think a, a lower-end version of this, who I, at the beginning of the year I wasn't as bullish on, but after kind of understanding the scheme and, and, and seeing Josh Allen in the preseason, I think Cole Beasley is going to lead the Bills in receptions. Um, now, I think, though, I don't know how valuable that will be, but I, in a PPR league, um, I think these are kind of those high-floor guys who – you know, the quote unquote ceilings a little higher for them because they could catch four or five balls every game. And now you're talking about, you know, 60 to 80 catches. And that is going to get you pretty, you know, for a PPR league, a pretty good um, ceiling, especially for where they are going, which is uh, pretty late. So um, those guys, and then in standard leagues are just, you know, kind of half PPR. Rashard Higgins for the Browns, I think I was, I was very high on Callaway, but with the suspension and, and how well Higgins has played and how efficient uh, he was with Baker Mayfield last year. I think this is another one of those offenses where, like Chris said, you just want all of the mouths. And Rashard Higgins going to get single coverage every play because you got Beckham, you got Landry. You still got to worry about Chubb. You're going to have to worry about Hunt and the joke. Like, single coverage every play. They spread the ball around. Um, I, I really like him. And uh, McCole Hardman of the Chiefs. I mean, they, they're going to probably play him in the slot a lot. And he might actually force – Demarcus Robinson to take on a lesser role like last year their offense was more like you know they had Conley out there Robinson was going to kind of take that role on but now as well as Hardman's playing he might be that third receiver and you you want guys on the field in this offense and if anything happens to Tyreek Hill who you know let's say he gets suspended again let's say you know whatever he's a small guy so gets hurt uh, Hardman it, it, he's right back to kind of stepping into that role as well so like the upside uh, for him as well and as far as just the second year guys I think uh, DJ Chark's a little sneakier than we think um, because Filippo, as Sean mentioned, th throws a ton. The, the Jaguars really struggled. Leonard Fournette, like under three yards of carry, you know, in second down, in, in any pretty much any uh, second and short, third and short, third and medium. I think they want to throw more. I think Nick Foles is going to allow them to because they were trying to hide Bortles. And I think uh, Shark 
and he worked with Conley before in KC. Shark is a guy who's been playing really well all camp, has a lot of talent, is primed to make that second-year jump. I like all three of their receivers as values because their tight ends have been hurt. You know, Fournette, yeah, I think he'll catch a little more, a few more passes, but, you know, they released Benny Cunningham, who was going to be the third down back and probably play that Yeldon role, by the way. Um, so they don't have Yeldon and they don't have Benny Cunningham. There are a lot of pass targets to go around for a coordinator that likes to throw the ball. So I think all three of these guys are positioned well. I don't think Marquise Lee um, will be that much of a, of a factor, at least early on in the season. So I think that uh, all three of those guys, especially um, Chark and Conley and Standard and then Westbrook and PPR, have, are, gonna, are going undervalued right now. All right, let's close it out by talking about tight ends. Uh, Chris, before mm. we talk about any potential sleepers, I'd just like a, uh, to get your feedback on general strategy. How important do you think it is to get one of the big three tight ends of either uh, Kelsey, Kittle, or Ertz? Not that important. I got to be honest. I think the opportunity cost of not getting the you know other options at the at the scarce positions just yeah. is too price too high of a price to pay. We're probably thinking of tight ends like we think of quarterbacks. You can probably just wait and get a significant percentage of Travis Kelsey very, very cheap with, with the potential for upside to get a, you know, a, a very significant percentage of Kelsey and not have to pay that kind of price. You know, I get it. There are some people where it's a comfort thing and they feel like if I can just sort of lock that position down and have a pretty sizable advantage over the rest of my competitors, have Kelsey and every week I'm going into a matchup where I'm playing against Trey Burton and I have an advantage. I have enough confidence in my league that I can fill in with running backs and wide receivers later in a draft and, and make up the difference because there's more of them. I, I hear I hear when people say that, I hear it. It isn't the way I attack it, as you guys have probably done too. I've probably done three dozen mock drafts in the last month. There have been some where I've gotten Ertz, to be honest, uh, but usually not. So I would say waiting on tight end would be my generally preferred strategy. All right, so outside of the big three, who are the youngish tight ends uh, that you are interested in? Because I'm kind of assuming that you're looking more for those guys as opposed to the old and injured guys like Delaney <laughs> Walker, Jordan Reed, Tyler Eifer. But, but maybe those, those are some guys who are interested. Super in. uncool. You're talking to an old and injured guy. That's just super <laughs> uncool. Yeah, no. I mean, listen, if I'm going to wait till round 13 or something, then, I get, then I'll take Kyle Rudolph for the time being and lock in my 600 yards and six touchdowns and feel fine with it until I find a better solution. And in some leagues, that works, right? But no, I'm with you. I think the one I, the tight end that I feel like I've made, made the most hay with in all these mocks that I've done is David Njoku. Again, the too many mouths to feed argument can sometimes turn out to be absolutely true. So I would never deny that, but it can also turn out to be the Rams. You know, if, we, if the Browns are as good as we think, they turn out to be the Chiefs or the Rams or, you know, maybe the Bears or whatever, you know, whatever name your offense, then there's no such thing as too many mouths to feed. So I, I don't panic too much about that. I certainly do hear people who say, you know, that's great. You're, you're selling me a first round athlete, but he's never really shown anything as a football player. And I go, yeah, that's true. I, I would be making somewhat of a leap, but I feel like the investment is pretty low. Ingram, OJ Howard, Evan Ingram, and David Njoku, classmates, you know, first round rates, like profile is similar, like crazy freak athletes who came into the league with questions about, you know, are they Eric Ebron? Are they guys who are athletic, but they're just going to take seven years to put it together? Or can they kind of contribute right away? And to me, Howard proved that he was a football player in that last year when he was healthy, whereas Ingram and and Njoku haven't, and I have Engram higher, but it seems to me they should be in the same conversation. And the fact that Engram is going so much higher strikes me as a vote for, well, someone's got to get some targets. And that's the argument that I get scared of. That's the argument that makes you draft Alex Collins, Royce Freeman, Rashad Penny. I prefer to make sure that I have someone who can do something with that presumed workload. 
And I think Engram can, but I think Njoku probably, for me, is in that same conversation, but he's being drafted so much lower that I often wind up with him. Chris, I'm with you on Njoku. And long-term, I think he has fantastic prospects, especially because he was... 20 years old when he was drafted, played 21 years old as a rookie. And historically, the guys who have entered the league that young at that position, uh, sometimes it's taken them a little bit of time to catch on, like Eric Ebron. But historically, they almost all catch on and, and they have great careers. Sean, at tight end, who is it that you are thinking of as a sleeper? So for me, if I, if I miss out on any of the big three, I, I tend to wait till rounds eight to 10 because I just love Vance McDonald and Austin Hooper, especially Hooper in round 10. I just keep loving him more and more heading him into the year. Um, you know, Dirk Cutter has typically gotten the most out of his tight ends, you know, Mercedes Lewis in Jacksonville. And then you had Tony Gonzalez at the end of his career in Atlanta. And then of course, Cam Brate and OJ Howard in Tampa Bay. I think with, with Hooper, I'm going to want to, see his you know touchdown rate spike um he has a career rate of 7.2 percent which is kind of odd considering his skill set and just you know how high scoring the the falcons offense is so i think he could be a surprise touchdown scorer this year so i love him in round 10 um and then you know the ultimate late round flyer would be dallas goddard we've talked about before but he has league winning potential if Ertz were ever go down so i think um if you can stat i've never recommended stashing a tight end And I'm not necessarily doing it, but if your bench can allow, if you say have more than seven bench slots, he's a guy that I would stash just in the event that Ertz goes down and you have a a top five tight end. So I love Dallas Goddard um, if you can get him in like round 19 or 20 in a deeper league. The name of this episode is Corner Dot Stash Dallas Goddard. That's uh, (laughs) that's what I heard you say there. Um, Rayvon, who is it that you are liking? Well, I mean, obviously I already gotten sniped a ton, but uh, I love, I do love Najoko. I totally agree. I think they're that Cleveland offense. You want every part you can get. Um, and we've seen in the past, uh, you know, Todd Munkin with Cutter in, in Tampa, getting the most out of their tight ends. Uh, Freddie Kitchens, by the way, is, was a tight ends coach for seven years. And we saw a tight end touchdown rate spike most of the time he was a tight end coach. So I think Najoku's touchdown potential is like on Ebron levels in that, you have to cover all these other guys. Uh, and, you know, Njoku has the athleticism, the score, um, and the size to do it. Um, but, but, you know, going a little deeper, I think some really high upside guys that it's kind of like a high-risk, high-reward situation. Mark Andrews for Baltimore, he averaged two yards a, a, per route run. Um, now, he still managed to be in on about three-quarters of their pass plays. The word out of camp is that he's been featured in the offense. So this team is probably only going to throw 25 to 30 times a game. But – if now he can kind of get into that space where he's getting like maybe 90% of their pass plays and he continues to kind of sit around that two yards per route. Now, you know, he was even higher than that for a time with Lamar Jackson, but just kind of looking at his full season numbers, um, you know, that's, that's 50 yards a game and that's, you're in the top eight conversation already. So I think uh, Mark Andrews has a ton of upside Goddard, obviously. And of the old injured guys, or like if you're in a two tight end league, I think my favorite is Delaney Walker right now because you know, he just happened to miss one game. I mean, he played one game, got an ankle injury out for the season. It's not like he had these recurring situations like a Greg Olson or, or a Jordan Reed or a Tyler Eifert. You know, he just got hurt one year and missed a year, and now he, and he's old, so we're kind of looking at him like, eh, he's done. But in reality, he's Marcus Mariota's favorite target, um, has been for a while now. And uh, if you look at their opening schedule uh, for, for the Tennessee Titans, yeah, they're going to – we think of them as this run-heavy team, but they're going to face Cleveland – Indianapolis and Atlanta in three of their first four games. 
Uh, and then the other game is against Jacksonville. And that, that's a team where they sometimes can be a tight end funnel because um, they, they play good perimeter defense and, and good deep defense. So I think you have a chance with Walker uh, to have some really productive weeks early on, which is what you want if you're drafting a guy that low because you're probably going to be at least open to the idea of streaming anyway. So um, that, that's kind of my favorite old guy. You know, uh, Rayvon, I'm with you when it comes to Mark Andrews. In fact, in our uh, fantasy football tools at Action Network, in our cheat sheet, uh, I have him ranked highest out of all of us. I have him as a top 10 tight end, which is aggressive. Uh, I'm not actually saying you should draft him in the top 10. I'm just saying I think he provides the value at the end of the season of someone who uh, will be finishing uh, in the the top 10. So uh, I'm definitely with you there. Uh, Chris, it has been fantastic to have you on the show. Uh, What content should people check out at Harris Football? I mean, what shouldn't they check out, really? If you really just dive into it and think about it, what shouldn't they? I mean, if you listen to the podcast, if you're looking for a daily podcast, you know, it's every day, it's five days a week. And then YouTube, because a lot of my shtick, as I hinted as we were talking today, uh, and thank you for having me, I had a really great time, uh, is that I watch all the film. And so as the season goes along, I can actually just show you plays that explain why I like that guy's a waiver ad or why I think that guy maybe is a little overranked. You know, maybe those stats that you're falling in love with that someone is falling in love with uh, in a given week, maybe aren't reflective of what he is as a player. Uh, so if you look up Harris football on YouTube, that's there as well. Everyone be sure to follow Chris on Twitter at Harris football. You can follow Sean Raybon and me in the action network app at the underscore odds maker, Chris Raybon and Matt F the Oracle use the app to get real time odds and track your bets for free. That is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network Podcast. Please subscribe to and rate interview the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. See you again next episode. 